hey, we are deep into a teaching series. You're like, still? I know, right? Um, we are deep into a teaching series. You keep coming, I'm going to keep doing it. So that's the kind of how it works. So um, calling this, and these are my teaching weeks, so we're calling this um, Emotionally Healthy. This series is about becoming an emotionally healthy church made up of emotionally healthy people. And we said that one of the reasons that this is important, one of the reasons that we believe we should be talking about this and learning more about this is because Jesus was an emotional being and Jesus was emotionally healthy. So then part of the process of becoming more like Jesus is to become more and more emotionally mature and more emotionally healthy. We started this series um, asking this question, what if all of our emotions are places to meet with God? What if God is already there waiting for us? What if none of that catches him by surprise? So far, uh, we've looked at the example of Jesus' emotional health. We talked about his spiritual practices, the importance of things like solitude and silence and prayer. We talked about um, family of origin. Uh, We talked about uh, breaking the power of the past, especially as it relates to your family of origin. We talked about our identity, our calling, our... uh, Uh, who we are and who God says we are. We talked about accepting the gift of our own God-given limitations and to view that as a gift. We talked about pace of life and hurry sickness. And uh, how many of you got that one figured out? Yeah, I know, right? I know. We should just kind of work on it. If we had time, we'd go back and listen to that again, I know. But a few weeks ago, we talked about the tyranny of living for the approval of others. And then we talked uh, about embracing grief and loss. And last week, we talked about forgiveness. So if you've missed any of these teachings, and um, I mean, I think they're really good myself, so uh, you should go, should go back and listen to the podcast. This is part nine. So there's lots of material to catch up on. One is not dependent on the other, so you can just pick a topic and listen to it. Um, I encourage you to go visit our media player on our website. You'll find it under the messages tab at faithcommunityfellowship.com. You can listen there. You can download it and listen to it later. You can subscribe to the podcast right there. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. You can get caught up. You can go back and listen again. You can like, did he really say that? You can just go check. My prayer for all of us in this series, uh, for all of us as individuals, as married couples, as families, as a church, is that God would bring us to a place of uh, emotional maturity and emotional health as followers of Jesus. I want to start this morning with some verses that I read uh, last week. These are words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Rome. This is Romans chapter 12, words of the Apostle Paul. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low esteem, and do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, verse 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we're uh, grateful for your word. Thank you for the truth that it speaks into our lives. God, I pray that our hearts and minds would be free of distraction, would be focused on hearing your voice this morning as you speak to us. Um, God, I pray that there'd just be a a stillness and a quietness in our hearts, and um, that we'd just, and there'd be an openness to your Holy Spirit today, and um, 
Thank you for the work that you've begun in us, that you continue in us, and uh, we invite you to continue that uh, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Jeremy Cowart, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's uh, been called the most influential photographer on the internet. Uh, I didn't call him that. I mean, I do. I don't know, but Forbes and Yahoo call him that. I guess Yahoo is still a thing, but uh, Jeremy is an award-winning photographer, artist, entrepreneur. His mission in life is to explore the intersection of creativity and empathy, and I love that. He's published four books. He's spoken all over the world. First time I ever heard him was, or ever heard of him, uh, was when I heard him at a conference uh, a few years ago. He speaks at uh, TEDx. He's spoken at the UN. He's the founder of Help Portrait, uh, C University. Um, as a photographer, he worked with dozens of recording artists and actors and actresses and uh, culture makers, including President Obama and Pope Francis. For a lot of people, though, their introduction to Jeremy Cowart is his YouTube video called I'm Possible. We've used this video in different groups uh, over the last few years, not too awful long ago in the queue. I know they showed it with the teens. So I know some of you have seen this, but I'm not going to show the whole video because it's 25 minutes long. But later today or tomorrow, I'll share a post, uh, the link on, uh, on Facebook for you if you want to watch the whole thing. But I want to show you just a few minutes, kind of in the middle of this video, in a section about a project that he was a part of in Rwanda. So watch this. Be fascinating to shoot portraits of Rwandan genocide survivors standing with the people that killed their families and whom they've now forgiven. I call it Voices of Reconciliation. Jasper, pictured on the right, locked arms with Innocent on the left. Innocent killed Jasper's older brother during the 94 Rwandan genocide. Jasper and Innocent later reconciled while attending a workshop hosted by the As We Forgive Rwanda Initiative and today work together in an agricultural association. They are pictured in the exact spot where the murder took place. And they wrote on their arms, love is the weapon that kills all evil. Honor on the right and Jean on the left were childhood best friends until the genocide erupted. Honor's parents and five cousins were brutally killed. Later, he discovered that Jean had participated in the murder of his cousins. Honor confronted Jean while in prison and remarked, because I loved him very much, I wanted to forgive him. I wasn't scared of him, but worried that he would be scared of me. But here they are pictured at the scene of the murder. Jean is now helping Honor rebuild his farm and the home that he helped destroy in the first place and they wrote on that tree between them, still as friends. So in this photo, Chantelle is on the left and she never thought she would forgive John, the close family friend who brutally beat her father to death. 14 years after the murder, Chantelle and John agreed to attend the healing and reconciliation workshop together. A year later, Chantelle publicly forgave John in front of their entire community, saying that her heart had been set free. Jean and Chantel's story is featured in the Student Academy Award-winning documentary, As We Forgive. The sign that they're holding together says, shared past, shared future. Anasta, pictured on the right, survived the genocide by hiding in a banana tree while his entire family was chased by a mob into the lake, which is pictured here behind them, and they drowned there. Jean, pictured on the left, is the son of the leader of that mob. 
Although the father fled the country in fear, Jean begged Anasta for forgiveness during the trial, and Anasta, out of his Christian faith, forgave them all. So they picked up this huge rock that was sitting there by the lake, and they wrote on the rock, forgiveness releases fear. This project ended up on the homepage of CNN, and it was the leading worldwide headline discussing the power of forgiveness. It also helped spread awareness for the As We Forgive initiative, founded by my friend Laura Waters-Henson. A couple years later, I decided to head back to Uganda with my friends at Exile International. But this time, I wanted to collaborate with children, specifically former child soldiers who had been abducted by Joseph Kony in the LRA. As a form of art therapy, we worked together to tell their stories. We interviewed them, I took portraits of them, and I had them draw the pains of their past and the dreams of their future. I even taught them how to draw these stories in Photoshop. Their stories weighed so heavy on our team. One girl was forced to participate in the killing of her own mother. She was only seven at the time. I'll never forget meeting Dillish. She had finished doing her drawings and then she said, wait, I didn't finish this story. Can I keep drawing? And I said, yeah, of course. She said, they killed my parents right in front of us. My baby brother started crying, so they picked him up by his legs and slammed his head into a tree to kill him. She said, I need to finish drawing that. So what you're seeing come to life is her actual Photoshop drawing of this horrible event. We screen captured all their drawings as they did them. Other stories were even more graphic, more horrific, and more evil to recount here today. But all of them had glimpses of hope and redemption woven throughout, and I wanted to help show that. I took the stories, their portraits, their Photoshop art, and I put my final abstract mixed media spin on it and turned them into these pieces. Last week, we spent some time talking about the uh, concept and what it means to forgive. We talked about the expectation that our Heavenly Father has of us that we would forgive, that to forgive is the norm. That's normal in the kingdom of God. We talked about a couple things that forgiveness is not. We offered a definition of forgiveness, and it's a definition I've been using for years, that forgiveness is choosing to live with the consequences of someone else's sin. We wrapped up our time last week with some really practical how-tos about forgiveness. So today, I want to try to take the teaching from last week on forgiveness and take it one step further because this is where this gets a little uh, messy and gets a little bit complicated. When we talk about forgiveness, that implies that there's been some kind of a conflict in a relationship that somewhere uh, there, uh, somehow now there is distance, there's been a falling out, there's been hurt, there's been pain inflicted, and the relationship has suffered. And our default often is to believe that relationship after conflict is impossible. Let's back up and repeat that. Because our default usually is to believe that relationship after conflict is impossible. 
to why I wanted to show you a very extreme example of the truth this morning in that video. Because like a lot of us, there's a, there's, this is our belief system that the situation or the person or the relationship is too far gone or that it's just too awkward to move forward. I don't know if you've ever fallen into that place. But for the follower of Jesus, we know that we can't stay there. And the good news is we don't have to stay there. Because we believe that God meets us in the places that he calls us to go. And that his empowering presence makes it possible for us to move forward, even in the most impossible situations. So um, I'm here just to remind you this morning that that's true. I want to read some verses in Luke chapter 17. This is one of the four gospels, one of the four accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. is written by uh, Luke, who was... Uh, he was a historian, and he processed all of this research and he, uh, all this eyewitness testimony. And after he questioned all these witnesses, these are the conclusions he came to about Jesus. This is what he has to say. So I want to read a few verses in Luke chapter 17. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. In other words, we all hurt people. Am I right? If you're in a relationship, it's only a matter of time till you mess something up. You say something wrong, you do something wrong, you drop the ball, you're just insensitive, or you just maybe you put yourself ahead of what's best for the other person. And Jesus is always brutally honest about the human condition. And he's kind of like, you will hurt people. It's, not, it's a when, not an if. But it doesn't let you and me off the hook. He goes on to say, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck, a, a little dark, just a little dark, this imagery, but it's a well-known figure of speech in Jesus' day. Um, I'm hoping we've evolved since then, but it, it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And what he's referring to is a young follower of Jesus, someone young in their faith, someone just starting on this path of following Jesus to cause them to stumble. Verse three says, so watch yourselves. This can be translated, so pay close attention if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. And even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you and saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Keep in mind, this is written a millennia and a half before Gutenberg, before the printing press, much less before Amazon Kindle or an Audible subscription. So writing was all about real estate, okay? So what a gospel writer such as Luke does on a regular basis is he takes hours or even days of Jesus' teaching and he summarizes it down into a line or two or a paragraph. And I think that this is the best uh, you know, all-in-one-place summary of everything Jesus had to say right here about forgiveness and forgiving. So here's my summary of Luke's summary of what Jesus had to say. Verse, first of all, number one, we all hurt people but that does not make it okay. So be careful to do as little of that as possible. If and when people hurt you, and they will, rebuke them. In other words, that is talk to them about it. Hey, we need to get together. We, that was not okay. That hurt my feelings. That, that was not right. That was hurtful. And if they repent, forgive them. Don't hold a grudge. Don't hold it over their head. Don't just break off the relationship and run away. Forgive them, that is to release them from the debt that they owe you, and then repeat as necessary. No matter how many times in a day or in a week or in a month or in a lifetime or in the course of a relationship, fight to keep that relationship alive and well and healthy. 
That's basically the gist of what Jesus is saying about forgiveness. But that's easier said than done, right? We know that. But notice that Jesus' end goal goes beyond forgiveness to reconciliation. This is the crux of the difference between forgiving as we like to define it and forgiving in the reality that Jesus called the kingdom of God. Remember this kingdom of God that Jesus ushered in, he talked about, it's not just in the future, someday when Jesus comes back and everything's back the way God intended. Uh, of course, you know, in that setting, we'll forgive and we'll be reconciled to one another. Then, of course, in the future, someday. But just hold back up a little bit because yes, the kingdom of God is in the future and it's coming in its fullness, but it is also already here. It's here, in the here and now. Jesus ushered in his kingdom when he was here on earth, and it's not perfect, and it's not fully realized, and it's messy, but it's a beautiful kind of mess. Here's the thing about his kingdom. It's completely upside down from the kingdom of this world. It's completely upside down and inside out from the way that we naturally see things in our fallen way of doing life. So let me just say this. I'm usually, um, I'm usually in favor of self-help tools in, in therapy and psychology. I'm, I'm in on that. I think it's helpful. It's useful. It's, it's stretching. It contributes to our growth as, as people. It often brings healing. But therein, I guess, is the issue. That, that, that's where a, a purely secular approach to self-help falls short sometimes. Because ultimately, that tends to be about healing your soul. And that's fine as far as it goes. But in Jesus' kingdom, in this new way of being human, it's bigger than that. Because when self-help and therapy and the application of psychology gets into emotional uh, replacement, where you replace or you change the emotions that are attached to a hurt from your past, from, you know, from a negative to a positive, we can't change our past, but we can change how we experience our past in our present. And we don't have to live, you know, in this ongoing fear and angst and anger and hate and all of that. So for all of that is the healing of the soul. And I think Jesus is all for that too. But in the way of Jesus, in this beautiful, messy kingdom that he ushered in, that's just step one. Step two is about healing the relationship. Sometimes we get the cart before the horse and we want to heal the relationship before we've done any work on healing our own souls. So that's why I'm all in on that, I'm all in favor of doing the work to bring healing to your own soul, but it doesn't end there. Step two is about healing the relationship because both your soul and the soul of the person you hurt or the soul of the person who hurt you matter to Jesus. It might not matter to you right now, might not matter to me, but both your soul and the soul of the person who hurt you matter to Jesus. We've got to keep that in mind. One way to frame this is to say that forgiveness, we talked about last week, is, and we didn't, it wasn't exhaustive, okay? We didn't cover it all. We only had like an hour, so it's just to kind of get you started. We talked about it last week, but forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. Because we said forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice I make to live with the consequences of someone else's sin. It's releasing the one who sinned against me from my right to collect on the moral debt or to pay them back for their offense. Instead of giving them back the pain that they gave me, I absorbed the pain myself with God's help and with that of my community. That's forgiveness. That's what forgiveness looks like. Reconciliation is when you put a broken relationship back together again. Now, forgiveness only takes one. 
you can forgive, I can forgive, even if the person that you hurt or that who hurt you isn't sorry at all, even if they will not apologize, even if they won't, you know, even admit that they did anything wrong, uh, even if they don't change their behavior, even if there's no repentance, you can still forgive because it only takes one to forgive. In fact, you don't even need to have any communication with them to grant forgiveness because that's not always, it's not necessary and it's not always helpful. You know what I'm talking about? I had this happen to me. I've had it happen to me a few times. I've had, a, I remember just one case and I don't think the person's in the room. <laughs> you know who you are. No, uh, I had this happen to me one time where someone came and hadn't seen them in years and they came to me and they're like, you may not know this and, oh, by the way, it's good to see you. Um, but, you know, about four years ago and you said that thing and did that thing. I don't remember exactly if I said it. I probably said something. And that was really hurtful and it really hurt my feelings. And uh, I really held that against you for a long time. But I just want you to know I forgive you. <laughs> not helpful to me. I did not need, just, I did not need to know that. Um, I would like to change behavior. That's great. And that's a different conversation. But um, I need, you don't always have to communicate forgiveness. You can forgive. Because what do you do when the person you need to forgive is no longer breathing oxygen? oh, darn it, I missed my opportunity to forgive my whatever who wronged me in this way because, you know, they died years ago. Forgiveness is about your heart condition. It takes one. But reconciliation takes two or more. Jesus is not asking you to play the doormat here. Just let people walk all over you time after time after time after time. In fact, you are commanded in that when that happens to rebuke them, that is to speak the truth to them when somebody hurts you. The reality is that there are people who are so unhealthy and so toxic and so hell-bent on adding to your emotional pain that you just at some point have to break off that relationship with them to protect your own mind, your own body, to protect your spouse or your family or your community. Now, of course, some of us are too quick to do that. Others are way too slow to do that. Somewhere in the messy in-between is a healthy balance. My point is there is a time there's a time and a place and a situation to end a relationship because forgiveness takes one, but reconciliation takes two. You can't do the reconciliation thing without the other person being on the same page, which is why we're commanded by Jesus to forgive, but we're not commanded to reconcile and stay in every single relationship forever. That's the ideal, but the messy reality in the here and now, but not fully here yet kingdom of God is that it doesn't always work that way. Still, the point stands that Jesus is after both. He's after forgiveness and reconciliation. And, and Jesus was fully human. He was not naive to the reality that relationships are hard. He understood that. And we see that as we read the Gospels and we study his life as a whole and we look at his interaction with people. He knew firsthand that our sin and the sin of others would distort and tear apart the fabric of how we live life and how we do life with each other. But he also knew, listen, that forgiveness would be the catalyst for relationships being restored. That's why he talked about forgiveness. Which means that when there's relational hurt among us, we can't just move on. We can't just forget about it. We talked about this last week. You can't just act like it never happened or just dismiss it like it's no big deal. Living in the community the way that we see Jesus living and the way that he taught us to do so means that we're going to have to do the hard work of reconciliation. And reconciliation is not just about our relationship with the one person that hurt us. Because the reconciliation that we do is deeply connected to the life and the expression of, the entire, of our entire community that we're a part of. Think about this. 
In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew uh, 6. Oh, we read these verses. We read these last week. Forgiveness is placed along the basic human necessity of daily nourishment. Did you ever see that? That just as daily food nourishes our bodies, daily forgiveness maintains the unity of the community that we live in and the condition of our heart. For Jesus, it was imperative when they asked him to teach him to pray, this is what he said, pray like this. Pray for your daily nourishment and extend forgiveness and we do this daily. For Jesus, it was imperative that his disciples understand that a relationship with God is closely tied to relationship with other people. Dad preached on this just a few weeks ago and he's talking about the greatest commandment. We as believers and as followers of Jesus have to be intentional about forming communities that are characterized by forgiveness. Our churches should be characterized by forgiveness. Our circles of friendship should be characterized by forgiveness. Our families should be characterized by forgiveness. And today, to, to, to get to practice this in a culture of tribal and racial and religious and gender tension and division, we believe, as followers of Jesus, that forgiveness is the oxygen of the kingdom of God. It's what should set us apart. And we get to breathe in Jesus' forgiveness, and we get to breathe it out into the lives of everyone else. So this practice of forgiving as we've been forgiven, that's what, those were Jesus' words, has to become as second nature to us as breathing. The problem is that if you're anything like me, it does not come naturally to you at all. Can you identify with that? Like, is that you? I don't know. Am I the only one who doesn't find forgiveness to be a natural thing? Uh, the problem uh, is, it, here, here's the thing. Like, you don't have to be a, a parent to get this, because this is when we can, we can look at something and say, is this natural, is this innate, or is this learned behavior? If you, you don't have to be a parent to know this, but parents, get, all parents get this, that you have to teach your children to forgive. A lot of times you're like, say sorry to boom, I'm sorry, you know, but, but then we got to go a step beyond that. We got to teach our, we have to teach our children to forgive and we have to teach our children uh, to reconcile. They don't just like evolve into tolerant human beings. It doesn't just happen. As parents, and this happens surprisingly early on in our experience as parents, we have to figure out how to teach our children one of the most basic things, and that is how to apologize and how to forgive and how to reconcile. I mean, I, for one, am still very much in process on this one. So I want to walk you through four steps of reconciliation. Uh, last week was forgiveness. Uh, this is a little bit, this is kind of the next step. Don't get these reversed, uh, but this is, this is the next step. So we're going to start with step zero. You're like, oh, really clever, Todd. Here's why I'm calling it step zero, uh, if you're taking notes. Because this is the baseline, okay? This is the place where we have to start with all of this and I'm just calling it conviction. Step zero, the baseline is conviction. This is where we become aware of the sins that we've committed against someone. Without this, your relationship is absolutely dead in the water. If you aren't in tune to the Holy Spirit of God in your life, illuminating the sin in your life, your relationship is just good luck with that. This has to happen if we have any hope of moving forward in our relationships. Ultimately, 
in a strained relationship or an estranged relationship, you can't be reconciled with anyone without first being convicted about the brokenness in that relationship. So I like to think of conviction as the place where God tells us the truth about our sin and then we acknowledge that he is right. That's my definition of conviction. That's the place where God tells us the truth about our sin and where we acknowledge that he is right. Conviction, by the way, is not a spiritual gift that's not given to any of you. None of you have the spiritual gift of convicting. It's not your responsibility to convict anyone else. Conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit. You might have the gift of guilt tripping. Oh, note to self. We'll work on that one in the future. Okay, uh, next week. Now, um, this is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he speaks conviction into our own lives. And it's from this place, this convicting place, that we're actually able to begin to entertain thoughts, to begin to change the way that we think about ourselves and the way that we think about the other person. And in that place, to believe what God is saying and to act differently towards the one that we've hurt or the one that's hurt us. Then if you've got that baseline, and, and you know, sometimes this is a, it's a learned behavior to hear that voice in your life, that voice of the Holy Spirit. But step one after the baseline is uh, confession. And all I mean by that is you verbalize what you did wrong. I said this, I did this, I, it was me, I did it, I said it. And, and don't just rush you know, right into, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? That comes next. But if you say that right away, I mean, think about that, it puts all the pressure on the other person to turn around and comfort you. And it makes it about your comfort instead of their comfort. You know, they have to step, you're like, oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. You're, they have to be like, oh, it's no big deal. I forgive you. It's really, it's okay. Don't cry. This isn't, this isn't about you feeling better. Honestly, it should be about us feeling the emotional pain that we have caused someone else. We should sit in that a little bit and then process that emotional pain with them as a friend or as a spouse or as a sibling or whatever, and that's healthy. It's unhealthy to wallow in that pain. It's unhealthy to skip right through it. It's healthy to sit there for a little while. Don't rush through it. Oh, that's no big deal. We all do that. Don't worry about it. Everybody's human, whatever. Just sit in that for a minute. I think it goes a long way in the process of reconciliation. And often we skip it because it's awkward, right? It's just nobody wants to be there. It's just no fun at all, and we feel like we aren't making progress. So here, I'm going to give you some do's and don'ts on a good apology, all right? This is elementary, but we somehow forget this stuff as we live life and try to do relationships and wonder why things aren't moving forward because we've, we've forgotten some things. And, um, and I just, you need to know I'm still a work of progress on this. I... I, I I'm working on this myself. So maybe, maybe we can all benefit from this. So here's, here's just a few dozen, do's and don'ts. Number one, do be specific. So not just, oh, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry about that. Sorry for, you know. No, get, get specific. And if someone's apologizing to you, I uh, would encourage you to ask the question, you're sorry for what? Do you know? No, I don't. Tell me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that biting comment I made. I'm sorry for that tone of voice that was condescending. I'm sorry I'm late and again and didn't let you know. I'm sorry I was just a, I was a jerk. 
I'm sorry I didn't consider your feelings. Be specific in your apology. Number two, do focus on your part of the problem, not theirs. I don't have, I don't have any sub points on that one. How many times we attach their responsibility for the problem to our apology? Well, I'm really sorry. You're a jerk too sometimes. You know, that kind of thing. Focus on your part of the problem. Number three, don't manipulate them to apologize for their half of the problem. Just apologize for your part. And number four, don't put a but at the end. And yes, I know what that sounds like, but, it, you know. Because we want to justify our behavior, right? And when we justify our behavior, it doesn't do what we want it to do. It doesn't. It doesn't help. So don't put a but at the end of it. Just stop with the period. Well, I'm sorry for about you. Know, I'm just really stressed out. Work's really stressful. I'm really tired. I feel like, I don't feel like great. I'm really sorry, but don't put a but at the end. Just stop. Oh, finally, don't make it about the other person's feelings. Because here's the classic line. Well, I'm really sorry that your feelings were hurt. I'm sorry that you were offended. When what we ought to say is, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry I offended you. That's different. Otherwise, it's just passive-aggressive behavior and it's manipulation. It's not healthy. It's not an effective apology. So the point here with confession, which I know starts with, you know, I did this wrong, I did that wrong, and the next kind of step there is an honest and, and complete apology. The, but the key here is to verbalize your behavior that was out of line, that, to get that out on the table, and then to express your heart's desire to reconcile. So from there, we get to embrace the fun step of repentance. This is step number two. So after confession... After you apologize, you put your money where your mouth is and you actually change your behavior. It's the point of an apology that doesn't result in changed behavior. It's just words. You show that your apology was genuine and that like, tears don't indicate that your apology is genuine. Changed behavior shows that your apology was genuine because actions speak a whole lot louder than words. In the scriptures, repentance often means to change your mind, but it also means to change your behavior. So some people would only say, you know, I'm sorry, but they don't actually change the behavior. That's why they keep having the same conversation over and over again. Then there are also people who only change their behavior but don't apologize because they got caught. So they're just changing their behavior, but there's no apology coming. So to be clear, repentance is a both-and kind of thing. It's where we have our heart posture changed and our behavior changed. Without repentance, there can be no reconciliation. It's a really, really important step. It's, it's, it's impossible for us to move forward if there's not an actual, genuine repentance, which is change of heart, change of behavior. And if you think repentance is fun because we would like to just get right through that one too, there's, there's more coming. Step three is restitution. Restitution. Restitution is where you right your wrong, okay? And sometimes it's cut and dry. Like, like if you steal money from somebody, you make it right by giving their money back and maybe a little more, right? That's pretty, that's pretty easy to figure that one out. The, but it, it's, it's easy to know exactly what to do with that one. You pay it back and, and, and you're done. 
But most of the time, it's not that easy. It's not that cut and dry. It, it's not that clear. So we've got to figure it out. And most of the time, I think the most effective way to know how to figure out the restitution piece is to ask the question, how can I make this right with you? Which is a, which is a bigger question than, how can I make it up to you? That's just kind of, making it up is kind of evening it out. We want to make it right. How do I make it right with you? That's hard. It's awkward. It's messy. It's going to require something of you. But it's a key step in reconciliation, which leads us to the last step, which I'm just calling reconciliation. Reconciliation is the damage. uh, It's clearing up of the relational damage done by sin. I love that definition. It's not original. It's clearing up of the relational damage done by sin. This process is for the offended and the offender. Reconciliation is multifaceted. It's okay if you need a little bit of time. It doesn't have to be immediate. It doesn't have, in fact, sometimes I question how authentic and how uh, like really in touch it is if, if it's just we fly right through it and there now things are better. Um, it doesn't have to happen in a moment. Some people, and you should know this about the people you're in a relationship with, that some people need more time and more space, and that's okay. The end goal here is that you're actually back in relationship with that other person. Yes, the past is the past, but it's not because you just skipped over it. It's not because you act like nothing ever happened. Something did happen. And now it's in the past because you've worked through this long, hard process of reconciliation. So let me just recap. Baseline is conviction. Step one is confession. Step two is repentance. Step three is restitution. And step four is reconciliation. A couple of common mistakes that we all make all the time. I mean, I know I do, and maybe you do too. The first one is that we tend to, we want to skip to the end. We just want to get there. Like we, I want to go right to the reconciliation part because that's the funnest part. We get to hug and make up. I mean, we're all friends now, you know, and if I sin against you, I don't want to deal with that. Let's just gloss over that part and and patch things up because, man, that's great. We're fine now. Yay, it's been a good day. We don't need to talk about it any further, right? (laughs) We're good, right? I mean, everybody's happy. You're happy. You're really happy. You're happy. Good. We're done with that. Seriously, we have this weird propensity to just get to the place where it's like, we're just fine. We're, we're just fine. We're fine. We might even make a quick pit stop at like step one or step three. And we might just pick and choose the ones that we like. But in reality, we have to actually go through each step. It's just that vital to the process. Second mistake that a lot of us uh, want to make is we don't own our part. So for clarity... If you are 100% guilty and the other person is 100% innocent, well, that that doesn't happen. If you are 100% innocent and the other person is 100% guilty, oh, that doesn't happen either. The key is that we own our part. Even if you're only 5% at fault, own it. You want a clean conscience before God, before the person that you hurt, even if it's just 5%. Also, you are not responsible for the outcome of the relationship. You are one half of a two-sided relationship, two-sided equation. But you are always responsible for your half, for your side of the equation. And you work through the steps, and you take ownership of your side and release the outcome to God. So what do we do with this? Um, 
what should you do with this today? Well, I don't know, today's Father's Day, this may not be a good day to start this process, but, uh, or maybe it's the perfect day around that awkward meal anyway, so I'll just take it all the way. Uh, what do you, but what do we do with this? First of all, um, I would say just spend some time listening um, in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit if there's anyone you've wronged that is unresolved, or anyone with whom we need to reconcile or seek forgiveness and from there, start to explore these steps of reconciliation. Try to determine, you know, uh, where we're at. From there, just determine what your next steps needs to be. And I would say just one step. Just focus on the one step. What's the next step? So maybe the next step is, is step zero, the baseline. Just sit in prayer and listen to the Holy Spirit's voice in your life. Because the question I curious about is what would it look like to take one step forward in the process Jesus said this in his uh, well-known invitation in Luke 9 where he said whoever wants to be my disciple that's a follower must deny themselves take up their cross daily and follow me think about this whoever wants to be my disciple that's optional but once you've made the decision must deny themselves, it's not optional, and must take up their cross daily, that's not optional for the follower of Jesus either. So what, he, what I love here is that J- Jesus gives you and me the gift of agency. What I mean by that is, this is not a command, it's an invitation. He said, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to apprentice under me, learn the ways of my kingdom, that's great, ball's in your court now, because step one is for you to deny yourself and take up your cross. Get it out on the table. Don't blame shift. Don't make excuses. Don't hide. Don't deny. Don't justify. Just get it all out there and then start to crucify it as you follow Jesus one step at a time. Until we do that, not only are we stuck in childish, immature patterns of unhealth and immaturity, but we remain unchanged. We remain untransformed. Until our identity is rooted in who we are becoming in Christ, until we recognize that we have been, in the language of the New Testament, adopted into the family of God, that God is our loving, accepting Father, and it's in that safe place of the Father's love, and hopefully in the family of the Father's love to our, those to your right and to your left this morning, that we finally have the freedom to explore the full range of our person of who God created us to be. The good, the bad, the ugly. Stop making excuses. We stop blame shifting. We no longer need to wallow in shame, but to own the broken pieces and parts of who we are and what we've done. And knowing who we are is about knowing who we are loved by because we are who we are loved by. Aren't you glad? That's pretty cool. That's where identity comes from. This is the gift of forgiveness that we have received from Jesus that we all have now. We get to pass that on to others. My hope and my prayer as we leave this place in a few minutes and step out into the rest of our lives that we will step into this practice of forgiveness, that we'll step into the process of reconciliation and restoration. And as we move forward, as we follow Jesus, let's let him allow us, allow him to transform us, to become like him, that we would work through the process of forgiving and of reconciliation in our own lives, in our own families, in our faith community, and in our workplace and in the community where we live. The dream is that we would become agents of forgiveness and reconciliation in the world.
So how do we respond to this teaching this morning? Well, for some, the first step is probably going to mean taking responsibility for someone that you've hurt. That may mean you need to just honestly acknowledge it to God, first of all. You may need to acknowledge it to yourself. You may need to acknowledge that to the person you hurt. For others, your heart, your deepest desire is that you would just kind of let forgiveness be the bridge to reconciliation in your life. It's a thing that can bring transformation in your life and in the lives of the people around you to the person that you've hurt, to the person who's hurt you. And in the end, the kingdom of God is really about a new way to be human. It's about a new way to reflect the image of God in our lives and through that to bring glory to our Creator. Listen to these words. Choose to live. 